Hi, everyone. It's Ashley. Each week here on the deck, you hear raw interviews from family members and investigators who are looking for answers to cases that, for whatever reason, remain unsolved. But unsolved crimes are often unsolved for a reason. Time has cracked and curved around some of these cases for so long that getting answers has become complicated. Well, now, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra is turning back the clock to look at an unsolved case from 1991. She's speaking to investigators, key witnesses, and loved ones who are still searching for answers on how exactly 27-year-old Douglas Wagg Jr. died. But here's the thing. While Delia's investigation for this season of Counterclock started as a look into one man's suspicious death, a string of crimes and other mysterious deaths point to so much more. Tune in each week for new episodes of Counterclock Season 6 wherever you listen to podcasts. Love is more than a day on the calendar or a sign-off on a letter. Love starts with you. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that radiate with your love from every angle. With Pandora's vast selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, there's endless ways to show what's in your heart. Write a love note to yourself or your best friend with handwritten charms or a personal engraving. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats to keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Our card this week is Cherie Allen, the two of hearts from Utah. In early 2005, Cherie was newly single and staying at a motel in Salt Lake City before figuring out the next turn she wanted to take in life. But one night that winter, a gruesome discovery inside a suburban dumpster shattered any dream Cherie's family had for her. And despite years of investigating and some promising leads, answers have been hard to come by. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is The Deck. January 24th was a cold night in West Valley City, Utah. But the frigid temperatures weren't going to stop David Wennerstrup from dumpster diving. In 2005, it was something he often did to look for valuables. And tonight, David was heading toward a dumpster behind a Hollywood video located in a strip mall. It wasn't far from a radio shack, so he figured he might find some salvageable electronics in it when he climbed inside. Around 11.30 p.m., I imagine the inside of the dumpster must have been pretty dark as David searched around through the rubbish to look for treasure. In the back of the bin, something caught his attention. It was a plastic trash bag in the back that was too heavy to move, so he reached over to touch it. But what he felt made him recoil. It was a bony texture, like a spine, so he ripped the bag open. 
David later recalled that moment to ABC4 Utah. That's when I seen her back. I didn't want to believe that that's what it was, but I, had, I don't know. It, something, a chill ran through my body. Still in the trash bin, David could see that the woman's body was mostly wrapped in plastic trash bags and curled up in the fetal position. He was freaked out. He didn't know if whoever killed the woman was still lurking nearby, so he hightailed it out of there and into the Hollywood video to call police. The West Valley City Police Department responded and met David at the dumpster. The first officer on the scene parked in a way so that his cruiser headlights would give them some light. And then he climbed on in. The officer's supervisor got there and told him to use a pocket knife to cut the bag open more because they wanted to confirm that it was a human body before calling for backup and the medical examiner. It took him just a few seconds to verify that it was the fully intact nude body of a woman. Police called for a tow truck to remove the entire dumpster from the lot, attempting to keep any potential evidence that might be in there with the woman. They set up a mobile command unit with lights to look at everything in detail. Police also sent an officer to look at other nearby dumpsters behind businesses to check for any suspicious items or, worst case, more bodies. More than 20 other trash bins in the area were checked, but nothing noteworthy was found. Detectives also contacted the waste company, A1 Disposal, because according to reporting by the Daily Herald in 2005, police said that the last time the dumpster had been emptied was three days prior. That would have been Friday which told police that that body had been in the dumpster anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. The body was taken to the Emmy's office, and the next day, January 25th, an autopsy was done. The victim had abrasions on her neck and wrists, swelling on her face, and apparent drag marks on her body. There was no doubt that she'd been murdered. And even though a pathologist was able to determine how she died, police have never revealed Cherie's official cause of death. Now, around the same time, a fingerprint search came back matching 22-year-old Cherie Allen. Detectives were sent to track down Cherie's mom, Lily Allen, who worked as a chef at a local restaurant back then. Lily told our reporter about that moment. I was at the restaurant still. I mean, I was working that day at the restaurant. When all I saw all of the uh, officers and undercover police officer, and I said, what is this? Must be police day today in the restaurant. It didn't even register in Lily's mind that all those officers were there to give her heartbreaking news about one of her kids. When one of them came up to the window and said, are you Lily? I said, oh my goodness, sir. I said, please don't take me to jail. I said, I know I haven't paid some of my, my bills, but I'm working on it. He just laughed and he says, no, I'm not here for that. He said, but are you Lily Allen? I said, yes, sir, I am. And he showed me a picture of her. And he said, can you identify this person? I said, yes, this is my daughter, Cherie. Lily said the police asked her to go to the morgue to make the official identification. That was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life but to go in there and see my baby land up there. Confirming Cherie's name right off the bat gave police a solid place to begin their investigation. They already knew Cherie had an arrest record because of her fingerprint match in APHIS, but they wanted to find out more about her. A quick search told them Cherie had a few local addresses and was also known to go by Cherie Green or Latasha Smith. 
They found out she'd lived in Utah with her family since 1989 and was a graduate of West High School, where she was in the band and played the flute. When Cherie was killed, she was a mom of four small kids, two sets of twins. But at the time of her death, Cherie was struggling with substance use. She was known for sex work, living in a motel, and she was wanted on a warrant. The picture of Cherie's life started to come into focus for investigators. And what they saw was a nice young woman with a family who loved her and who was having a rough go of it lately and possibly hanging around with a tough crowd. As Cherie's murder made the news, phone calls started flooding police. Some people made reports of seeing men acting suspicious by various dumpsters in the city. Others reported cars they'd seen parked near the dumpster at Hollywood Video. And then, that same morning, another call came into the West Valley City Police from a man who wanted to report Cherie as a missing person. Busy parents have enough on their plates without adding your children's homework to the list as well. IXL is an excellent resource for homework help, which is especially nice for parents who are rusty on school info themselves. And methods have changed over the years, too. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. It's designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. And you get one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. There's a reason why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. From studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. A month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring, so now you could get your child the help they need at an affordable price. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And the deck listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash deck. Visit IXL.com slash deck to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. The man's name was Carl Swanigan. Apparently, he hadn't seen or read the local news and was calling because he was getting worried about his girlfriend, Cherie, who he hadn't seen in the last day or so. They, of course, asked Carl to come into the station that very day, though they didn't yet tell him that Cherie was already dead. They wanted his statement first. He told police that he and Cherie were an on-again, off-again couple and that they'd recently broken up again, which prompted Cherie to move into the Colonial Motel in downtown Salt Lake. Police wanted to know when and why the two broke up, and Carl said it had been a few days prior, around January 18th. The two just got in a normal argument and she took off. Carl said he couldn't find her for several days, and he even walked the streets looking for her. But finally, on the 23rd, a mutual friend tipped off Carl to Cherie's location, and so Carl and his cousin Thomas found her at the Colonial Motel. Carl said he and Cherie made up, and then they spent the day together, and all was well. Carl, who, by the way, was also known as Big Smooth, said that the two just hung out at the motel, 
his aunt brought them some food, and Cherie left around 7 or 8 p.m. Carl said he stayed the night at Cherie's motel room because he wanted to be there when she got back, but she never returned. So he left around noon on Monday to look for her and continued walking around searching for her until the next morning when he called police. Now, Carl seemed to have caught on by then that something was terribly wrong because he became upset and demanded to know what happened to Cherie. I'm not sure exactly how police delivered the news because I'm sure they were also wondering if Carl was even telling the truth. I mean, he was basically admitting to having a fight with her and being the last to see Cherie alive. But also, why would he report her missing less than 24 hours later if he was guilty of murder? A strategy to seem innocent, maybe? Either way, it wasn't enough to hold him on. Plus, police had someone else that they wanted to question. Cherie's husband, Eric Green. Now, the two were separated, but still got to check out the husband. So the next day, on January 26th, police tracked Eric down. He agreed to an interview and said that he and Cherie had broken up in the fall of 2001, and the two hadn't even crossed paths since 2004. Eric also said he had an alibi for the night of the 23rd. He'd been watching a football game with his girlfriend and some other friends. Now, I can't find any record of police verifying this alibi, but they must have, or they had no reason to believe Eric had motive to kill Cherie, or maybe both. And I think this because it seems like they checked Eric off their list and just moved on. Police didn't want to waste more time, so detectives headed to downtown Salt Lake City to the Colonial Motel to canvas and see what else they could find out. The manager there, a man named James, told police that Cherie showed up on January 20th and rented room 23. And that a few days later, someone started staying with her. That would have been Carl. In fact, Carl was still staying in the room, but was planning to check out on the 27th. James said Carl had just paid his rent. And when he had, Carl mentioned that Cherie had gone missing and he was worried about her. James told police that he hadn't had any problems with them during their stay and no one had reported any issues. He also noted that neither of them seemed to have a car. Police also talked with James's girlfriend, Tammy, who worked at the motel. And she said that she saw Cherie on the afternoon of Sunday the 23rd because she collected rent from her. But she hadn't seen her since. Police obtained a search warrant to look through Cherie's motel room. They didn't find anything too interesting, aside from a few receipts from a motel Cherie must have stayed at prior to living at the Colonial. But while detectives continued canvassing over the next couple of days, Someone who was renting a room near Cherie told officers that two men had been at the motel looking for Cherie on Sunday. She said that the men actually asked her if she was Cherie, and she told them no. And then she went to Cherie's room to tell her that there were men there for her, and Cherie responded by asking if the men were white or black. She told Cherie they were two black men, and Cherie turned around and went back inside her room. During one of a few canvassing efforts at the motel, another woman told police that she knew Carl and he was a nice guy. She said he seemed very worried about Cherie the last time they ran into each other at the motel. But another guy who knew Carl told police that he was known as a quote-unquote gorilla pimp. Now, I hadn't heard that term before, but it's pretty awful. Basically, it means a trafficker with a bad temper, someone who controls sex workers by using physical force. And this man also just straight up said that he thought Carl killed Cherie. But could he prove it? No. What made him think that? I wish I knew. Over the next few days, police worked to find any possible forensic evidence and even searched the dumpster for fingerprints and trace evidence. But they didn't find anything. 
As leads were dwindling, West Valley City Police got an anonymous tip on a hotline. This was about four days after Cherie's body had been found, and it had been all over the news by then. This tipster mentioned unpaid federal court costs and something about the church that Cherie's mom, Lily, worked for and was associated with. This guy implied that Carl was also associated with the church. The tipster didn't leave a ton of details, but police must not have looked too far into it because that's all that's mentioned in reports. Maybe the tips weren't detailed enough or maybe police thought the caller was conspiratorial. Either way, detectives changed course after that. On January 31st, detectives traveled to the Utah State Prison to interview a guy named Willie Moore. How come? Well, Willie had Cherie listed as his wife. According to police reports, detectives looked to see if Willie had made or received any phone calls the week Cherie was murdered. He did call a relative, and police listened to the recorded conversation where Willie asked his relative if Cherie had been found dead. Another phone call Willie made to that same relative had nothing to do with Cherie, and he had not had any visitors during his incarceration, which started the year before. Willie did tell police, though, that Cherie had his cell phone, and they should try and find it. He explained that before Cherie got into drugs, the two were a couple and had even moved out of state for a few years before returning to Utah in 2003. Willie was forthcoming with officers, even telling them that one time Cherie told him that a man named Frank had tried to sexually assault her at a motel. Willie also said an older man named Poppy was acquainted with Cherie and might know something. By the time police left, they were pretty sure he didn't have anything to do with Cherie's murder from behind bars. But they did ask prison officials to just keep an eye on Willie's mail. As police were scrambling to follow those leads, hoping one would stick, Cherie's family was preparing for her funeral, which was held on February 2nd, 2005. The ceremony made Lily ponder all the things her daughter was going to miss out on. I would prefer her to be here on this earth, living, doing the fun things she likes to do, raising her family, being with her kids, enjoying her kids, maybe someday her grandkids. But now she'll never know what it's like to have those grandkids and enjoy those grandkids and have them call her granny or whatever she would prefer them to call her. She'll never have that chance because someone took it away from her. I miss her so much. I just wish I could just hold her, tell her one more time how much I love her, and then things would have been all right. Lily holds on to the happy memories of her daughter and sometimes wonders what she would be doing today. Cherie, she was a, a very funny girl. She liked to have fun. She laughed all the time. She was always, she's a person that loved to help people. She would go out of her way to help anybody, no matter who, where, what, she would do it. Whatever she could do for you, she would do it. And when she was a baby, I thought she was supposed to cry a lot, but she didn't. She smiles a lot. She always gave me joy. She would always say, hello, mother. How are you, mother? Lily hates the fact that her daughter was murdered during one of the hardest chapters of her life because she feels like that's what's reiterated in the news over and over again. Cherie's arrest record, her mugshot, the active warrant. But Lily said that's not who Cherie was. She was sometimes a silly girl, but she she wanted to grow up and she wanted to be a nurse. 
but she never got a chance to do that. She would come by the restaurant. I was always working, but she would come by the restaurant. We'd have holiday dinners together. We'd exchange presents. Our brothers and sisters would get together. We were a, a united family. We always did things together. If I didn't do it with them, she would do it with the brothers and sisters. The last time Lily ever saw Cherie was less than two weeks before she was murdered. I was working at the restaurant. I'm a chef. I don't, I'm retired from it. And she came into the restaurant on 13th South and North Temple. I asked her, was she hungry? And she said, yes, mother. I said, you always hungry. She said, yeah, that's true, mother. And so we sit down and we talked. I fixed her something to eat. And she said, the last thing she said to me, she said, it was the day before, no, it was my birthday. And she said, mother, I'm going to get your birthday present and I'll be back. But she never came back. I can remember sitting in my high school Spanish class, looking down at the ground, just hoping, desperately hoping I wouldn't get called on. Because languages have never come easy for me. And even after all those years of studying in school, I felt so insecure. Then as my husband and I started exploring international travel recently, he convinced me that it was time to give language another try. So naturally, we found Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages, and they have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing your words. As my family continues to explore future travel, I know I'm going to take advantage of that because I want to feel as confident and respectful as possible. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the deck listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com deck. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash deck today. When it comes to your health, there should be no compromises. Don't go back to that doctor who doesn't fully listen to you or rushes through your appointment. Instead, check out ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Search by location, availability, and insurance. No compromises. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You don't have to wait forever to get in with someone good. When I looked online, the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score some same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash deck and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash deck. ZocDoc.com slash deck. On February 7th, a woman who was arrested by Salt Lake County said that she had information about Cherie's murder. West Valley City detectives met with the woman in jail who said that she was a sex worker and that, quote, word on the street is that Big Smooth did this to Cherie, end quote. Now, remember, that's what Carl went by. So detectives were like, "Okay, you got any proof? And the woman said, actually, yes, 
She said that Big Smooth had threatened to quote-unquote throw her in a dumpster. And not only that, this woman claimed to have personally heard Carl, or aka Big Smooth, threaten Cherie before her death, saying, quote, You ain't nothing, and nobody would miss you. I could throw you in a dumpster. End quote. It was May by the time police tried to interview Carl again, and he refused. He denied having anything to do with Cherie's death, and he refused to give a DNA sample, though I'm not even sure what evidence they have to test it against. By spring 2005, leads about Cherie's murder had pretty much dried up. But that summer, something happened that made some wonder if Cherie's killer had struck again. On July 15th, just after 12.30 a.m., an employee at Metro Waste in Salt Lake City was compressing some garbage at the waste facility plant after a round of dumpster collections when he came across a woman's body. According to old news reports, she was wrapped in a plastic trash bag and the compressing ripped open the bag and exposed the woman's shoulder. Soon after a preliminary autopsy was done, the woman was identified as 35-year-old Suzanne Maxwell, who had a history of being a sex worker. Because Suzanne's body was already at the waste facility, it was hard to tell which trash bin in the city that she'd been in. But the president of Metro Waste told reporters back then that it wouldn't be impossible to identify a few potential locations. But either that was never done or the information was never released to the public. Police didn't find any missing persons reports filed about Suzanne, and they were hesitant to say that she was murdered. A Salt Lake City PD spokesperson at the time just called it suspicious. Then, all of a sudden, poof, a month later, police announced that Suzanne had actually died of an overdose and that they would not be investigating her case as a murder because it was probably accidental. Oh, but according to reporting by the Deseret News, they said that they would still be interested in knowing who put her body in trash bags and then into a dumpster because that part is a crime. And that person could be charged with illegally dumping a body. I have... So many questions about this, but there's no other information and no mention in the files we have that West Valley City and Salt Lake City Police ever got together to compare information in Cherie and Suzanne's cases. Years went by without any action in Cherie's case. That is until 2011, when police were contacted by Cherie's estranged husband again, Eric Green. He said that he had gotten into a fight with a guy over him talking about knowing who killed Cherie. This guy said that two men, known as L.A. and Pops, were responsible for Cherie's death because she had not kept her end of a drug and sex deal. This guy even knew in what manner Pops had killed Cherie, which, we're told, matched her actual cause of death. And remember, that's never been released publicly. Unfortunately, Eric didn't know the real names of these men, and the investigation came to a screeching halt. A few years later, in 2013... Carl, a.k.a. Big Smooth Swanigan, passed away. In 2018, the West Valley City Police Department put out a press release to the local media around the greater Salt Lake area. It was around the 13th anniversary of Cherie's murder, and it was basically just a call-out looking for new tips. It doesn't really seem like anything came from it, though. The case file has shuffled from detective to detective since then without any breakthroughs. In January of this year, the police department put a call to action on its Facebook page. The post said, quote, Leads on this case have dried up, and WVCPD detectives are looking for new information. Please share Cherie's story. Help us find her killer and bring her family some small measure of peace. End quote. Lily and her family hope this isn't the end of Cherie's story. 
or the investigation into her murder. I would like to see more investigation done and I would like for them to move forward if they have a suspect to take it to court and let's get this done and we can know I can get some closure and some rest of this. I don't want this to drag on for another 17 years because it would be unfair to me and unfair to her and her children and her brothers and sisters. My daddy always said we were a stubborn family and we were determined to do what we started and we didn't, we don't give up until we finished it. So I'm not giving up. The fight is still on. It's still on. I don't know how long I I have on this earth, but I hope that the dear Lord give me long enough time to find out who murdered my baby. If you have any information about Cherie's murder, there are a few ways you can help. If you know the real names of L.A. or Pops, you're asked to reach out to the Utah Cold Case Coalition at 385-258-3313. Or you can call the Utah Department of Public Safety's Cold Case Tip Hotline at 833-377-7233. The Deck is an audio chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? You have a vision for your business. Your priority might be to expand facilities or bring in the best talent. At Century Insurance, we listen, learn, and work to understand your business and your plans to help protect your new locations. As your business evolves and your vision comes true, Sentry, right by you. Property and casualty coverages are underwritten and safety services are provided by a member of the Century Insurance Group, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. For a complete listing of companies, visit Sentry.com. Policies, coverages, benefits, and discounts are not available in all states. See policy for complete coverage details. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Probble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries, for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.